Welcome back to Marvel Maniac and MCU After Show. This is your host, Eric Cicada, a.k.a. Mr. Honest, talking to you about Episode 3 of She-Hulk, The People vs. Emil Blonsky. If I'm being honest, life has been a little chaotic for me, and I've wanted to put up a Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings episode since it's come out, and I really wish I could have gotten it out by this episode. However, life has its way of getting in the way and without getting too into it we'll get to it and i'm not going to stop it from letting us enjoy this episode most likely referring to the movie shang chi and the legend of the ten rings in this episode so be ready for some spoilers for that movie and also be ready at some date in the near future um for us to go back into that movie and talk about that and how it affected this show uh, in this episode. However, I'm not going to let that stop us from enjoying this episode to its max right now um, because we've seen the movie. Most of us have seen it, and if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you seeing Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Um, but my discussion for it on Marvel Maniac and MCU After Show, I've definitely, I don't know if anyone else um, has, is like this. They, I just want it to be so perfect in in a discussion sense that I think I've over worried about making it too perfect that I never put it out so um, that's where I'm at but I figured I'd just let my audience know who has been with me who has been wondering why hasn't he talked about that amazing Marvel movie yet um, it's not because I don't like it it's or anything else for that matter it's just because I want it to be a really great topic of discussion okay so with that out of the way Let's get into today's episode. Episodes 1 and 2 of She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, sort of put into place Jennifer Walters' story of becoming a superhuman lawyer at law. And that is really where we find her at the beginning of this episode, going into her first really big case, um, covering and protecting her cousin Bruce's first mortal not really mortal enemy but the antagonist of the first Hulk movie <laughs> Emil Blonsky aka Abomination and now we get to see some of her at work we get into the nitty gritty of the lawyer show our previously on reminds us that Jennifer has a winning strategy already that's in the bag when a viral clip of Emil Blonsky, the abomination, is going around on the news of him fighting in a cage match, <laughs> having escaped from his max guard prison. So this is where we start our episode. <laughs> the first shot of the show is of the damage control super max prison, as the audio description of the episode calls it. And Jennifer is not as cautious as walking into this place as last time. She strides right in straight to Emil in a, in a beeline. She fairly asked him how and why pretty much he escaped from prison. And then he told her to her face that he doesn't turn into the abomination anymore. And to which he replies that, no, he chooses not to. And goes on to say that, you know, these are extenuating circumstances. <laughs> Whatever that means. Jen informs him that this constitutes another crime and destroys his chances at parole. Blonsky tells Walters that he was forced to leave his cell 
but he returned at his own free will. Who forced you to escape this insanely high security prison undetected? Jennifer, again, another fair question asks uh, Emil. A sorcerer supreme of the mystic arts, he tells her, and his name is Wong. Just Wong. Nikki picks this line up. She sits on the ledge of a window in uh, Jennifer's office. His internet presence is a little chaotic, she tells Jennifer. He's either a sorcerer who lives in New York or a librarian who lives in Nepal. The Sanctum Sanctorum has passages to all over the world. Um, so that's why Wong is in Nepal as a librarian. And nice reference to Wong and Doctor Strange looking over the books in the library. So he actually is technically a librarian. The third thing his social media profile also says he is is a target sales associate apparently so i don't know what wong has gotten into in his free time but i i think he might be also working at target to make an extra buck or two which is completely fair and reasonable jen asks nikki simply if she can get to him and she says yes it's me i can get to him she sent him a thirst trap it's her with a picture of a bunch of books so i don't know if that's gonna work it but it might i don't know <laughs> it might actually work i am recording and reacting as i go to this episode Jen says, I hope that he calls back. If Blonsky's telling the truth, this guy busted him out of his prison cell and probably ruined my entire case. Her suit is so big on her because I, I'm pretty sure she's just never Jen and only Jen in her barely ever free time now. And her clothes have to be so oversized. So I'm really happy to see that in canon detail <laughs> like her suit is giant on her and just the very best part already of this of open of this opener um she breaks the fourth wall and she's just acknowledges i know you can't wait to see wong just the way she says it she's like i get it and she ensures us she says i i just want you to make sure you know that this isn't one of those cameo every week type of shows because it's not except for bruce and blonsky and wong she remembers as we go and she says, just remember whose show this is. I freaking love this opening. And then we get our title card. She-Hulk, attorney at law. After the titles, we definitely get to see that if it's not her show, it's definitely her world. The world is buzzing about She-Hulk right now. She's all over the news. One Los Angeles news station covers it. We get another controversy type show called The Tattle and... They're saying that ever since Jen revealed that she's She-Hulk, her qualifications are being questioned as a lawyer in general. In Spanish, a channel covers her and tells us that the big green woman is trending worldwide on Twitter. Some guys, like, they took the Hulk's manhood away and they gave it to a woman. Damn right they did, and why are you so upset about that? What is, what is your prerogative in being so angry at this epic woman? We see so much social media just buzzing all about her. Um, we cut this one guy just saying he'd smash. We get every bit of information about her and pretty much get on her level and page and that she's probably really fed up with all this. Nikki is watching an interview with Gideon Wilson when Jen walks into work and he's the guy who put Abomination away all those years ago and he's pretty much starting to say how it's appalling that so-and-so and blah 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 that he's trying to be freed. Jen walks into her office in Hulk form and Nikki asks her if she's seen this insanity and Jen says she doesn't care what anybody says about her and that Emil deserves a fair trial. Which at the end of the day is true. Even if he broke out of prison to fight in 
an underground fight club with the master of the Mystic Supreme Arts. Jen tells Nikki that there's something in this country called due process and that Emil deserves a fair hearing. She says this so genuinely. Nikki replies that Jen has to respond and that she has to make her own narrative. Nikki is a really good counsel for, for Jen and a really good personality to counter her. Um, I think they're a great, a great duo. Jen gets a phone call and she says Holloway beckons, that's her boss, if you don't remember, and she leaves the office with Nikki and they start walking through the office and um, Nikki kind of tries to convince Jen that people want to know every single detail about her life and that she should do an interview because she's sort of a public figure now. Jen has the point that people really only care about her because she represents Emil Blonsky. Nikki raises the fair point that this is not going to go away just because Jen's ignoring it. Which is true, she's a She-Hulk. I mean, she's not going to stop being a She-Hulk just when she stops representing Emil Blonsky. They continue to Holloway's office, and Jen says that every minute she spends on this crap is one less minute she works on her actual job. She walks into Holloway's office, and sitting in there is Dennis, and he refers to her as Jen Walters, and Holloway corrects him as Miss Walters. He immediately says they have too much history for him to be comfortable with taking the case. Uh, Jen has no idea what they're talking about. She says she would love to know what's going on and not work on it. We meet Mallory Book. She walks in and Holloway introduces her. She is also in the superhuman law division, we learn. Dennis says he can't talk to a 10 about embarrassing man stuff. She might be his next fiance. What a douchebag. <laughs> he winks at her and she says happy to not be involved and she leaves, thankfully, uh, probably for her. He asks Holloway if the guy standing next to him with paperwork is a lawyer, and he says he looks cool. He'll, he'll take him, and uh, Holloway says Mr. Bukowski is from the DA out, DA's office, and he needs help on a delicate matter. He was deferred by an ex-girlfriend and wants to file a lawsuit against her to get his money back. Immediately, I'm thinking, I'm not sure what's so superhuman about this. Okay, and so Mr. Bukowski is Dennis. I, I'm just realizing this. He says he bought her jewelry, flew her to Bali for a photo shoot, paid off her Volkswagen Passat. The man with the paperwork asked Holloway why the Superhuman Law Division, my question exactly, and apparently the girlfriend in question is a shape-shifting light elf from New Asgard. Dennis says, to be fair, he thought he was dating rapper Megan the Stallion. <laughs> and, and, um, Jen asked him, you thought you were dating Megan the Stallion? Multiple Grammy Award winner megastar Megan the Stallion? I'll be honest, I did not know she had won Grammys, and that is amazing. What part of Shapeshifter did you not get, Dennis exclaims. Just as Jen is making fun of him for thinking that Megan the Stallion drove a Passat, Wong enters through the signature portal, and it looks so awesome in the office of Holloway. She is just straight up laughing at Dennis at this point. Miss Walters, I received your message, he tells her. Uh, Mr. Wong, great entrance, perfect timing, she tells him. I really need to take this, she tells him. You may go, Holloway responds. She tells Pug, the lawyer that is at the right of Holloway, uh, good luck with Dennis's Megan the Stallion new Asgard case, and she walks away with <laughs> Wong out of the office. So epic. Everything Mr. Blonsky told you is factual. I extracted him from the prison against his own wishes because I required a worthy opponent as part of my training to become Sorcerer Supreme. We learn in Spider-Man No Way Home. Spoilers for that movie, obviously. Spoilers for a lot of the Marvel movies up to this point, even ones we haven't covered on this show, which we will be covering at a point in the near future. Um, like I said, I'm trying to get as much out as I can um, with what's going on in my personal life. Not relevant at all in this episode. Um, 
However, I am the host, and I want to keep my my audience, current audience, up to date with what's going on uh, as much as I can. Um, okay, that being said, this is really, really nice intertwining story with the movies, and um, this is Wong Wong's side of the story, and um, he's saying that this is part of his training. And as Sorcerer Supreme, he continues to say, I insist that he not be punished for my actions. He starts to get up immediately after he says this, and Jen tells him, again, I will not be punishing him. The parole board will not be releasing him after seeing this video. He tells her, I know what you're thinking, Miss Walters, and I'm not erasing everyone's memories, not again. She says, that's not what I was thinking. That is highly unethical. Is this a reference to Spider-Man No Way Home in that of itself? Um... And he is already Sorcerer Supreme in that movie. Maybe he's just learning how to erase people's minds in general. I don't think this is a reference to that movie, um, personally. It, it, it rings a bell, but I, I don't think Wong even had anything to do with the mind erasing in Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, that was all Doctor Strange. And it was him acting out of Sorcerer Supreme um, duties. Doctor Strange was busy making a multiverse of madness. Um, well, Wong probably is going to be having to help clean that up for the rest of the <laughs> the rest of the duration of uh, the phases of these of the of, of the multiverse saga. It's very messy, believe me. Wong says, "We'll send him to the mirror dimension." Wong suggests, "I don't know what that is, but no, the shadow dimension." Another suggestion. Wong runs by Jen. What you can do to help is show up at the hearing and explain everything, Jen kind of politely asks slash insists to Wong. Very well, we'll reserve sorcery for strategy B. He touches his nose. She says, don't tap your nose. In Pug's office, Pug asks Dennis, how much money in cash and gifts did you spend on the Megan the Stallion imposter? Dennis gives him an oh man and doesn't really know how to... S Pug says, how about I just say a number and you tell me higher or lower? Considering you bought our mid-sized sedan, how about 50000 a 100000 200000 and he keeps going up and up. And 200000 he's not a fool for, but he said it was more like 175000 Yikes. Pug tells Dennis that that's a whole house in parts of the country. Dennis laughs it off and says, yeah, right. I mean, it, it's true, and it's a lot of money. However, he thought it was Megan the Stallion. He asks if he's going to help him or not uh, to Pug, and he says, I'm going to start building your case, and I will be in touch, Mr. Bukowski. At this point, I'm wondering where this story is even going, and I'm very intrigued. They share a very awkward handshake and part ways. Pug watches a video of Megan the Stallion imposter fight on YouTube, and it's actually Megan the Stallion guest starring on the show, which is really funny, and uh, an old elf lady does... Um, break out of the Megan the Stallion form and say, I'm not really Megan the Stallion. <laughs> Very evil uh, Asgardian transformation. Uh, that is very funny. And it's just such a nice crossover to get a little bit of Asgard, a little bit of uh, Dr. Strange and the uh, Sanctum Sanctorum. We get some um, Wong, you know what I mean? Like It's a little bit of all the Marvel Cinematic Universe um, mixed with she-hulk and uh, like i said this episode is starting to mix the formula together and it's the best of everything here in this show dennis walks back into the office at this point we are not expecting this at all and he says here's the thing i'm gonna drop the case 
The truth is, somewhere deep inside, I knew, he says. I gave those things because I wanted to. I was just embarrassed to get found out in such a public way. Before we get to, or I get to a part where this could or has happened, and you know that it has or hasn't, I really think that this is the Megan the Stallion elf imposter walking in as Dennis. <laughs> a reminder that I am recording as I go with the episode here. At some point in time, you got to take personal responsibility, he continues to say. I have to say this is unexpected. Pug says, uh, well, it's just money after all, Dennis replies. And now I've got a story to tell, <laughs> he continues on. Now Pug gets a call, and we hear that it is Dennis, and he is saying that somebody towed his Cybertruck. I think he parked it in a handicapped spot because he said that he did, which is not very out of character for this man at this point. Um, not the most likable guy, yet, however, he is being impostered. Imposter Dennis drinks a Red Bull. Puck turns around and eyes the fake Dennis and is, like, sussing him out right now. He calls for security, and then a version of him walks out, and he says, I love harassing women in the workplace, um, when he walks out of his office, and we're like, what? And then it's, again, her transforming into him, and... She transforms back into herself and she says, let that be a warning. And he tells the girls in the office, I don't. You guys know me. Oh, boy. A news reporter now is reporting live from the ultra-high security prison. Where she, in quotes, says, the man known as the Abomination will appear before a parole board. Jen, in human form, walks past news crews. One news reporter asks, Jen, can we get a word? And then another asks, is it true that you were rejected by the Avengers? Then our main news reporter goes on to say, Jennifer Walters, also known as She-Hulk, rumored to have been rejected by the Avengers. News stories as they go, spiraling out of control immediately. Now Emile's cell descends from a hole in the ceiling into the chamber, and five members of the parole board sit at a nearby table. Jen asks Emile if he's ready for this, and he tells her yes. Seven women in white outfits and flower hats stand in a glass window off to the off behind them, and Jen asks if those are her soulmates, and he says, yeah. And she says, okay. Blonsky asks if Wong is about, and she says, no, I don't understand how a guy with zero commute time is late. She's so frustrated with Wong, it is endearingly funny. But we can't help but be a little frustrated with her because we want her to succeed here. And we have to remember what she told us. Remember whose show this is. We are here today to determine whether Emil Blonsky is, the board director takes off his glasses, suitable for return to society after having served his minimum sentence. In light of recent evidence of a prison escape, I think we all know how this is going to go, so let's keep this brief. The man who I assume to be the board director says, Jen opens up with, as Mr. Blonsky's counsel, I would love to address the alleged prison escape. We do have a witness who is able to clear Mr. Blonsky of any wrongdoing on his part, she tells, she tells them. A woman on the board says, we'll start with that then, and Jen hesitantly says, well, yes, the witness is prepared to give a statement, after Mr. Blonsky gives his. Probably the best move she could have made at this point. The head of the board says, are we really entertaining the idea of releasing someone who's been documented as escaping from prison? The woman to his right, who I just love, uh, says, now, hold on, Mr. Blonsky, do you feel you have been rehabilitated? Just, I love benefit of the doubt, and it's just like... Yes, give him a chance. When Blonsky was the answer, he sits up in his chair like, Oh, you're really giving me a chance? Like, uh, The way Jen takes off her glasses, it gives him this look like, Yes, answer. Answer right, please. I'd like to start by saying that I feel great remorse, he tells them, and great shame to those that I've harmed. So to answer your question, yes, I feel that I have been rehabilitated, he tells them. I spent every day of my incarceration focused solely on redemption. I have changed emotionally, physically, metaphysically, spiritually interdimensionally he keeps going etc jen cuts him off 
What Mr. Blonsky is trying to say is that the man you see before you is not the same Emil Blonsky as before. All he wants now is to be a contributing member of society, she tells the board. Which I say since, I mean, he does have Wong backing him up, and I trust Wong 100% in this. And if Wong's backing him up, and he is as genuine as he seems, he might have some bad roads ahead of him considering he is the abomination and who knows what bad entities can approach him and you know what he'll get into that is aside from what you know what he deserves from right here i i genuinely believe jenna's right if released would you have a place to live the head of the board asks him yeah you can rely on that he replies jen adds that mr blonsky does own a plot of land on which he plans to work and reside the second member of the board asks if he plans into going into farming, and she says no, he actually plans to open a meditation retreat on the property. So just very, you know, Jen doesn't know how to kind of continue that sentence, and she's very cautious with how she's putting that with the wives and all that. And how does Mr. Blonsky intend to fund this endeavor? The second member of the board continues to ask. Mr. Blonsky is currently in a long-term committed relationship with several pen pals, she tells them. All simultaneously wave at the board. Yikes. All of whom have pledged to financially support him, she tells them. Blonsky chimes in, excuse me if I could clarify. Um, Jen tries to say no, but he does anyway. Blair, Ruth, Marta, Sheila, Alejandra, Yvonne, and Nicolette are my soulmates, he says. We met through the prison pen pal program, he tells them. They are my better eighths. I can't believe I'm saying it myself. He waves at them and tells them he loves them. And you know what? They all wave and kind of smile back. This is a consenting relationship. Jen turns towards them, sees them waving, turns back towards the board, takes a moment and says, I don't think we need to get into that any further. Any other questions? All five of the board's heads go straight up. <laughs> what a great moment. Now we get an overhead view of the prison. Man, this place is, like I said, like last week, this place is locked down. We get a bunch of other testimonies while Jen waits anxiously for Wong's arrival, her lead testimony here. One man says that Blonsky started the prison's literacy program. He's helped countless prisoners learn how to read. Another woman goes on to say he leads guided meditation and yoga for the prisoner. One of the guards is sobbing and he says he saved me from a bad marriage. And Blonsky tells him, that's it, Carl, let it flow. Like, he's his therapist. I mean, Blonsky is a man of the people at this place. It's going back and forth between the testimonies and now it's back to the man in the blue plaid jacket. And he says, now the library is more than just a quiet place to ship someone. Jeez Louise Back to the lady, she's going on to say, instead of toilet wine, prisoners make toilet kombucha. <laughs> the guard is taking deep breaths, and he says, I release you, Linda. And, <laughs> and Blonsky's like, I'm proud of you, Carl. And he's like, I love you so much, the guard. And uh, yeah, okay, we're done with Carl. Even Blonsky is aware that like this isn't the best testimony for right now. This is the point where Jen is crossing all the testimonies off the list, and Wong is the only one left, and he still hasn't showed up. Is that all? Because there's still the matter of Mr. Blonsky's escape, the lead board director tells Jen. And this is serious. It needs to be cleared by Wong. It really is the cherry on top of this clearing and the case for Jen. He plays video of the abomination fighting Wong at Xu Shaoling's club, which is Shang Shi's sister. That is a tongue twister, man. Jen rises a bit anxiously and says, yes, there are extenuating circumstances that the witness will explain. Turns around and says to herself if he ever decides to show up. 
just at that moment, out of a bright orange portal, Wong shows up right at the microphone stand. He says, my apologies, Miss Walter's meal. He says it so fast and flustered. He apologizes for losing track of time. Walters tells the board that she asked Wong here today because he is the man responsible for Emil Blonsky leaving prison. And I do think you will see this whole thing in a totally different light after hearing from him. As she takes a seat, the board turns to Wong and he asks them, have you ever heard of Akumate? And they all shake their heads. <laughs> in a courtroom, Pug sits with Dennis. And the defense, the elf imposter's lawyer, says, I'd like to move for dismissal of all charges against my client. On what grounds, the judge asks, Runa is the daughter of an elfin diplomat on Asgard and now in New Asgard. Did you know about this? Dennis asks Pug. As such, she has diplomatic immunity. She may have diplomatic immunity, the judge says, in New Asgard. But we are not in New Asgard, he tells them. Runa chimes in and says, Excuse me, Your Honor, but Asgard is not a place. It is a people. Therefore, I... And, sh and she gets cut off by the judge, who's just not having any of it. He must have heard something like this before because he says Thor's inspirational speeches are just not admissible in court. Which is good to know that at ground-level MCU that the things Thor have said have made it into common knowledge and have probably been repeated time and time and time again uh, to a point where people are just like, You can't be Thor. You cannot use Thor speeches here and now just because you're from Asgard doesn't mean you're Thor. Pug enters and says, Your Honor, this case is cut and dry. My client was defrauded of $175,000 by a scam artist. He deserves compensation for the financial and the emotional trauma that he suffered. The other lawyer says, My client and Mr. Bukowski were in a consensual relationship and engaged in role play. Dennis chimes in and says, oh, gross. She says, no rational adult will believe my client's texts were from the real Megan the Stallion. Well, I, I think if it looked like Megan the Stallion, wouldn't you believe it were her? I, I will even get in his corner and believe that. Mr. Bukowski knew he was dating Miss Runa and went along with it until it no longer suited him, she says. I did not, Dennis says. This was a relationship gone bad, not a scam, the other lawyer says. Mr. Bukowski was blinded by love, Pug argues. He absolutely believed that he was dating the real Megan the Stallion, which absolutely he did. This guy is totally ignorant enough to believe that. I must say, I find it hard to believe that Mr. Bukowski could be fooled so easily, the judge says. And the onus is on you to prove that, Mr. Pugliese. That's his full name, apparently. That being said, I'll allow this to go to trial. So, Miss Runa, your motion to dismiss is denied. Runa looks shocked. Dennis offers a fist bump to Pug, who just looks very angry. He thought he was going to get this taken care of clearly here and now. Dennis adds that when this is over, he's going to cancel his Hollywood hookup subscription, that there's clearly no vetting process. Now the judge is returning to his seat, and we know immediately from earlier in the episode that it's Runa. Uh, in light of some new information I have just received, I'm changing my ruling. And the her lawyer is just not happy about this she says impersonating a judge is is illegal and to get down from there pug tells her that um even this is a little bit broad and runa transforms and it's very much like the loki transformation when she transforms in and out um she has loki's powers which is kind of cool we learn in loki that loki um is kind of getting a little bit more powerful so um it's not loki's only power now runa is a troublemaker when she's when she's hammering the gavel, it's just very clear. She's she's not going to win this case, I don't think. Puck says that this is good for them. As Runa flees, the bailiff chases her, and Dennis cringes. He says, yuck. We're seeing multiple court trials today, so we're back to the Blonsky trial, and we are at Wong's testimony, and he is saying that in regard to Mr. Blonsky vacating his cell, I gave him no choice. Jen nods along. 
and he says it was absolutely his choice to return. I offered him asylum at Carmitage, which is lovely this time of year, but he was quite adamant he be returned to serve out his sentence and repay his debt to society. Thank you, Jen says. She slams her hands on the table. So you see, Emil Blonsky was forced out of a cell against his will, and even when offered instant freedom, he chose to return to his cell. These are not the actions of a criminal, but of a reformed man who truly wants to do the right thing. How genuine is Wong here, and how just amazing is his one performance, and just two, just good to have him on this show. Um, I love it. Well, that may be true of Emil Blonsky, but when Blonsky uncontrollably becomes abomination, the board director is saying, isn't he a raging monster out for blood? Blonsky chimes in, uh, excuse me, if I could just put your minds at ease. He takes his shoes off. Jen says, absolutely not. No, no. She's trying to convince him not to do this. And he says, it's fine, Jen. And he's like, about to turn into abomination. And he turns into abomination! And all the guards enter and... Everybody really overreacts here at Mr. Blonsky, Emil Blonsky, the abominations, in control, transformation, and he says, I'm in control. And he puts a blanket over himself and calms himself down, and Jen turns to the guards and tries to calm everything down, and she says, ladies and gentlemen, I beg you to forgive Mr. Blonsky's enthusiasm. He didn't intend to frighten anyone. In fact, this proves that in every instance, Mr. Blonsky could have broken free, but has chosen to remain in his cell. As his stellar prison record reflects, Mr. Blonsky spent his entire incarceration practicing a strict regimen of training and self-discipline so that he may walk among his fellow citizens with no chance of becoming a rampaging abomination again. Very on-the-nose line, and I love it. He deserves a future as a free man and a productive citizen. Thank you, Ms. Walters, the second member of the board adds, we will adjourn for today and consider all the facts. We will reconvene once a decision has been reached. And please, let's get this man some clothes. The other board director says, and as for Mr. Wong, Wong corrects him and says, just Wong, the Sorcerer Supreme, master of the mystic arts, leader and former librarian of Kamartage. Yeah, you realize that you just admitted to facilitating a prisoner escape, which is a crime, the board director says. I must depart. And Wong opens a portal and walks through it and leaves, which is what you probably would just expect him to do. I don't expect Wong to answer for that, and he shouldn't. He saved the world in Avengers Endgame, and these people definitely should be aware of it. Wong knocked over the mic on his way out, and Jen just like kind of awkwardly walks over to the mic and picks it up after he leaves. <laughs> As Jen walks out of the prison, she is flooded with reporters, and the first question she's asked is, how do you plan to take Blonsky down when he rampages again? Another reporter, what about claims that you're one of Blonsky's rumored soulmates? Third reporter asks, is there any truth to the rumors you got your powers from a mafia hit gone wrong? That was Jennifer Walters rushing by, undoubtedly hoping to avoid the protesters that are gathered just outside the gates here. This show has an amazing pace. We are now back at Legal Ease, the bar and grill, and Jen is telling Mickey, how uh, her card was vandalized by a protester, and it says, Monster Defending a Monster. It's revealed she's talking to Nikki, and she tells Jen that this can go away with one little interview. Good day, LA. It's thirsty for you, she says. Jen says, No, thank you. Hard pass. Nikki scoffs, and Jen goes on to say, I cannot wait for this to be over so I can go back to being a normal, anonymous lawyer, who also happens to be a Hulk. What are you talking about? Nikki goes on. Jen, the genie is out of the bottle, girl. You are a story now. People are walking by Jen and staring at her, and 
Nikki tells Jen that she's pregnant with the Abomination's baby. According to the news story she's reading on her phone, Pog shows up at the table and he says, Good God, Dennis Bukowski. And Jen breaks the fourth wall and says directly to us, Connecting the A and B story? Nice. Pug said the man is almost terminally deluded. I'd call him gross. Nikki replies, after admitting that she'd killed him in, his, in her head multiple times. Jen says, yeah, just gross. And Pug says, would you be willing to say that under oath? In the courtroom, Jen has her hand on a Bible. She swears the testimony she's about to give today is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Dennis says, hey, P-Dog, how is Jen our best option? I gave you a whole list of my boys. Jen is going to help us clinch this. Trust me, he tells Dennis. Miss Walters, how would you describe your relationship to Mr. Bukowski? We worked together for several years at the DA's office, she says. Would you say that you know Mr. Bukowski fairly well? Definitely. We worked regularly on cases together, she tells Pug. So we've spent, I spent a lot of time with Mr. Bukowski. Did he ever share his personal life with you, specifically his dating life? Yes, he would. Prolifically and unprompted, she says. You wanted to know, Dennis shouts out to her. Pug continues, how would you characterize Mr. Bukowski in relation to his romantic life? He replies, self-absorbed, chauvinistic, conceited. He once described himself as a New York 10 and an LA 11, and the whole court laughs. He nicknamed his office the Denisphere, and he objects himself. The judge says, Mr. Bukowski, need I remind you that you're not representing yourself here, and this is your witness, but I agree. Mr. Pugliese gets your point. It's been stated many times in this courtroom, Pug says, that a man of reasonable intelligence would never think that he was dating the real Megan Thee Stallion. In your opinion, Miss Walters, do you think that Dennis Bukowski would believe that he could actually pull Megan the Stallion? Yes, Dennis Bukowski is an almost pathologically entitled man. He would absolutely believe that he's dating the real Megan the Stallion because he is truly that delusional. She testifies and brings the case home for Pug. Jen is the definition of a wing woman. And as angry as Dennis is, we get a response from the judge in the next scene. In the case of Bukowski versus Runa, I award full damages to Dennis Bukowski in the amount of $175,000. In addition, we also sentence the defendant to 60 days for impersonating a judge. Runa says no, 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 no. She is not taking it and she tries to leave again and in the audience Megan the Stallion with an air fan says there's only one Megan the Stallion. That's right, and I'd say that's a really solid cameo, uh, officially Megan the Stallion in the Marvel Cinematic Universe canon. Walking out, Dennis asks Pug and Jen if he has a shot with the real Megan the Stallion, and Pug says, no, please don't do that. Thanks for the testimony in there, Jen. Dennis says, the sad part is uh, the, that elf is just going to get a slap on the wrist. I wish there was a way we could remove her powers. And make sure she doesn't victimize anyone else. And she says, did Dennis Bukowski just give me an idea? That'll stay between us. I like when she breaks the fourth wall so much. We're back at the prison now. Maybe the most frequented visited location of the series so far. And Jen starts off inside with many news reporters outside. One of the reporters says, We've just received word that the parole board has reached a decision. Jen and Emil stand next to each other, separated by the cell that contains him. All of Emil's soulmates pray and wait behind their wall. After revealing Emil's record, the lead board director says, We hereby grant Mr. Blonsky's release on parole effective immediately. Emil's soulmates cheer. I mean, you can't help but be somewhat happy for them. As a condition of his parole, Mr. Blonsky is prohibited from turning into abomination indefinitely. 
and is ordered to wear an inhibitor in perpetuity. Any violation of this condition will result in his immediate return to prison. Jen says, understood, thank you, and Emil replies, thank you, Jen, I'm in your debt, you know. Spiritually, of course. And she says, just stay out of the news is all I ask. I don't want to read any more stories about either of us. He replies, you might want to reconsider that. They're going to write a story about you one way or the other, you know. Better to be a part of it, really. Now, words appear, Citizen News tonight. The abomination is now a free man. And here with us in the studio, the lawyer responsible for his release, She-Hulk. Standing there in her glory, yeah, my name is Jennifer Walters, not She-Hulk. And my client's name is Emil Blonsky, not the abomination. Got it, the reporter says. The high-profile nature of this case and the fact that you're, you yourself are a Hulk has catapulted you into the public eye. So tell us, how did you come up with the name She-Hulk? Oh, funny story, I didn't. Some random guy on the news came up with it after thinking about it for like two seconds, but it stuck. <laughs> so now whether I like it or not, I am forever She-Hulk. Great, we have to take a break. When we come back, She-Hulk shares her diet and exercise secrets, the reporter says. I'm sorry, what? She says. Later, Jen's car halts at a stop sign on the corner by her apartment. It turns and Jen parks in a small lot. She gets out of her car. A man in a construction helmet that is like glowing with orange, like an orange glow starts to attack her and like put his arm around her neck and then another guy starts to approach her and she starts to freak out. But we get an wait from her like she remembers, I could turn into She-Hulk right now. And she's about to save herself big time. We get the transformation and she makes eye contact with her attacker as she looks over her shoulder at him. She throws him over her shoulder after saying, get off me. She flings him into the other man and then two other guys approach. A guy with a glowing weapon says, if you're going to strut around showing off your powers, you better be able to back it up. She replies, when did I ever strut around and show off my powers? They all have glowing colorful weapons and she actually asks asks them, did you guys rob an Asgardian construction worker? And the guy replies, yeah. (laughs) Look, I don't know if this is actually serious, uh, but they (laughs) start to attack her and she says, let's do this. The guy in the helmet charges. She throws him down. A glowing mace hits her, but she doesn't flinch. She dodges the second swing of the mace, then punches her attacker out. A third guy attacks with a baton, and she disarms him. The last man jabs a syringe at her shoulder, but the needle bends. She smashes his head with another man's, and then throws that man into the air. One guy says, okay, bad idea, fall back, go, go, go. They race to a van and climb in. The main guy says, okay, fellas, I admit that did not go exactly as I imagined it. Thunderball, did you get it? The guy's name is Thunderball. These are very super villainy dudes who want to be very super villainy. Just as I, as I kind of predict, in a sense, we're getting more super villainy people in the world of Marvel now because of Thanos and the knowing of Thanos and just the fallout of the snapping And just these guys are... And, are so typical, in a sense, comic book villains. Thunderball says, no, once she turned into She-Hulk, I couldn't pierce that nasty green skin, and he pulls out the, the bent syringe. They're trying to get her blood and make more Hulks. He says, damn it, the boss is gonna be mad. Crouched in the alley, Jen, as She-Hulk, grabs her belongings that uh, all fell in the attack. We end the episode of her spotting her reflection in a car's window. It's a very dark shot. Um, and that is how we end the episode. There are some more courtroom sketches over a Megan the Stallion song. The creator of the show is Jessica Gao. And I freaking love the show. And she just did, is doing an amazing job, slash did an amazing job with it. And the writers on this episode, of course, were Francesca Gales and Jacqueline J. Gales. 
Wonderful job. The courtroom sketches in this uh, post-credits is She-Hulk in court. We get one of Jen being Jen. I really like this Megan Thee Stallion song in the post-credits scene. In a new sketch, Jen and Nikki toast at a bar, probably celebrating the victory. In another sketch, Emil waves from the back of a bus while his seven soulmates watch, and one of them is even crying. Probably tears of joy, I'm guessing. <laughs> another really great sketch of Nikki in a pink ja suit jacket. Another sketch shows Dennis at a restaurant with Megan the Stallion, and he's showering her with gifts. We get a post-credit scene. I'm loving these post-credit scenes every episode, opposed to some of the other shows where we're only getting them, like, the beginning of the season and the end, or just the end of the season. And it's She-Hulk entering her office to her new favorite client, Megan the Stallion. At first, they're signing paperwork, and then we get Holloway passing the office. I actually can't believe what happened in this post-credit <laughs> scene. Oh my goodness. It is actually a twerp fest with She-Hulk and Megan the Stallion to the yada 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 song. I don't even actually believe that that happened. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my gracious. I, if I'm being honest, this may be one of the most iconic crazy post credit scene that has ever happened um, of all time. That is just so funny. Holy smokes. Plus, She-Hulk just getting low and twerking. Do I have a new crush? <laughs> what the what? She did it. Not trying to be like Dennis over here, but holy moly, um, She-Hulk. What you doing, girl? She says, I will kill for you, Megan the Stallion. And then she says, dial it back. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is so funny. Um, I'll say it again, that is just too good. I think that's going to go down as one of the most iconic Marvel post-credit scenes. Aside from the first one, where she's talking about Steve Rogers being a virgin. What? Okay, like, they're, th these post-credit scenes are really, really good. Let's go over to our Marvel Studios, reddit.com slash Marvel Studios, and see what the fans are saying. The top comment, Chance Vance, says, Benedict Wong just counting up all the paychecks he collects for being involved in literally every MCU production made now. <laughs> that is a very true point. Um, in reply to that, Comeback Shane says, Phase Wong is real. Yes. <laughs> um, another comment, Confessed Obsessed says, The news coverage in the show sounds like the coverage of the show. I'll be honest, I'd smash. I'll be honest, I agree. Um, this, this is really good. This is a really good show. Um, the scene where they're cutting all the people gossiping about her, it makes the very realist, It makes it very realistic. I can't believe they got rid of the real Hulk and made a strong woman. <laughs> Comments made me laugh. They're really on point with the news, with the news segments. Yes, they are. Um, El Rey Del Mundo said that. And uh, yeah, 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 yes. I agree. I agree. I agree. Um, KMC39 says, well, She-Hulk just twerked. Wasn't something I thought I was going to see today, but here I am. I stand here with you, KMC, and I'm not saying that I hated it. Um, C. Beckel3618 says, connecting the A and B story. Nice, in quotes. That got a good laugh out of me. I can't tell you how much I love the fourth wall breaking, man. It is just so refreshing. It is so refreshing. Gorilla Pete says his soulmates came from Midsommar. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen that movie, but I know exactly what you're talking about. I've seen the trailers. Um, Hank Scorpio 36 says now people can quit saying they are the Thunderbolts. Last comment. Uh, Valor Pizzerias says 
Wong, do you know you committed a felony? Wong, LMAO, bye. Hey, Wong's got a lot of stuff to do. He cannot be sitting in a prison cell. I mean, he probably wouldn't be able to sit there for more than five minutes before portaling out of there. I mean, if I had the portal abilities, I'd be never in any one place for more than a few seconds. I have to say, this was probably the strongest of the episodes because it culminated all the story we've gotten so far. I am in love with this show. I gotta say, it, it it's up there with I think I've said for every Marvel show so far, it's up there with my favorite, because the Marvel shows just do it right. And um, this one is no exception, She-Hulk is no exception, and I'd say with the end of the episode, wherever this is going, whoever those guys' boss is, uh, I think it could have to do with Wilson Fisk, it could have to do with just something we have no idea, it could be a brand new um enemy that we haven't even heard of yet um as far as comic book villains i'm sure it's something referencing the comic book um however it could be a brand new entity i'm sure it would have something to do with the great daredevil um and how he'll however he'll be brought in um spoiler alert if you haven't seen the trailer for this show um and I'm so sorry for saying spoiler alert 50 times after I've spoiled the thing that I'm talking about. That's what this show's all about here at Marvel Maniac, an MCU after show. <laughs> My name is Eric Cicada, a.k.a. Mr. Honest, your host. This was our discussion for She-Hulk Episode 3, The People versus Emil Blonsky, and what an episode and ride it was. I loved it, and I hope you did too. We will be back next week for She-Hulk Episode 4. We are on Patreon. If you'd like to donate to the show, the best place to do that would be patreon.com slash marvelmaniac. I will be putting up some unique clips slash features for the Patreons once we start getting some fans in there. Um, currently, there's a few older clips, and um, you will get a sticker if you donate right now. And we also have an email. We'd love to hear your thoughts. All positive comments are encouraged. Please leave a review on the show. It goes a, be it goes a long way. You know that. And we will see you next week for Marvel Maniac and MCU After Show. Until then, Avengers disassemble. <laughs>